0: Romans chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 together here this morning. If you have one of the black hardcover Bibles, that's on page 943. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. And remember, as we read, we're reading God's Word. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve, not, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. That's God's word. You may be seated.
1: Amen. It is good to be here. I was telling uh, Luke earlier, it's just a good vibe. It's just, uh, you seem like friendly people, so hopefully that carries through. How many were at the Chili Feed this weekend? Raise your hand so you, the people next to you are warned. But uh, that, would have been, that would have been a blast. Um, how, how many of you from Iowa? Like Luke said, I, I'm from originally from Iowa. Anybody from Iowa? One. Okay, I asked that same question at Gilbert one time, and one person raised their hand, and we talked afterwards and found out we were related. So, um, <laughs> true story, true story. All right, coming, uh, coming from Iowa, one of the things that I thought was so cool is that you guys can grow fruit in your backyard. Like, you can grape fruits and oranges and all these things, and I, when we moved here, it was like, I was fruit tree. I want to be able to grow some fruit in my backyard, Uh must-have. So I, I went to a nursery to pick out a fruit tree, and I found one tree. It's a kumquat tree. Is anybody a kumquat tree? Well, I got laughed at. I'm, you know what's coming, I guess. So I started picking. Uh, I felt obligated to buy the tree because I'd eaten like half of it at the nursery. It was the closest thing to a gummy bear tree I could find. That's what I was originally looking for. But I, I had this, and I brought it home about a year ago. I planted it in the ground. Uh, I finished eating the rest of the tree, and I have not seen another kumquat since then. So I don't know what the trick is. I'm watering it. I, I put the fertilizer stakes in there. I've done everything. I've been on, like, gardening blog sites trying to figure this out. Um, but I'm just completely missing it when it comes to trying to grow kumquats. And maybe you felt that way a little bit when it comes to Christianity. Maybe you felt that way a little bit going through the book of Romans. Like, I don't know if I'm getting this. I feel like I'm missing it. But maybe as a Christian, you feel like, maybe I'm missing it. Like, like I'm a Christian, but there's a lot of times I don't feel very Christ-like. I don't feel like I produce a lot of fruit. And And Luke read that in our passage. The Bible talks about followers of Jesus bearing fruit, this idea that we will do good things, that good emotions will come out of us. Paul talks in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. Like when the Spirit is living in us, he will produce things um, that come out of us like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. It's like, who doesn't want that? I want that, right? I want more joy and I want more patience and I want more um, self-control and I want more more love, more of those things in my life. I, I want that. Does anybody here want that? Okay, six of us are going to go and get this, right? This is, ex- this is exciting stuff. Like he's saying, you can be more joyful and you can be more loving. And you- we'll put it this way. How many would love for your spouse to be more patient? And- no, I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise- <laughs> we just started fights. Like, just ignore that. Someone was like, yes, right away. There's people down front to pray for you afterwards. Come on up and figure that out. But yeah, you- even if you're here today and you don't even believe in God, you're going to hear that list and you think, I want that. I want more joy, and I want more peace in my life. So the question is, how do we get that? How do we have that? How do we change our heart, which we've seen that we're so powerless to change? Like, how do I change the attitudes that I have? How do I change the emotions that come out of me? How does that fruit get produced in me? And maybe when it comes to that, we're we're missing it. We're going about it differently. I love how uh, Paul starts off our passage here in chapter 7. He says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law? Like, I'm talking to people who know, but maybe you don't know. Maybe you're smart, but you're still missing it. Maybe you show up every week, but you still don't get it. Do you not know, brothers, even though you're the ones that should know? Like, maybe this group of people, even though they're church people, are are missing it. And it comes right after this amazing passage that Luke preached last week, uh, 623. For the wages of sin is death, but what? The free gift of God is... Eternal life, right? So Paul drops this bombshell of talking about eternal life, and then the next verse is like, "But maybe you don't get it. You should get it, but maybe you're not getting it." That is something we don't want to miss. So let's let's try to figure this out a little bit. And and in their defense, um, it can be a little confusing if you've kind of been working through the Book of Romans, and in our passage today, you may be confused because it comes across as like, "Well, you're dead to sin, but you still sin." But there's grace, so it's okay. But it's not okay to keep sinning just because there's grace. You need to obey and seek righteousness. But you don't need to keep the law. Now, that doesn't mean the law is bad. The law is good because it helps you sin more, deceiving you and holding you captive. So it's holy and good. Just don't keep it. I don't know where the confusion is, but in (laughs) case there is, we're going to get in there and try to understand this. And our primary focus is going to be in verse 4. And here's what we want to understand first. What does it mean to die to the law? That's a big deal. What does it mean to die to the law? And second, and at the end of verse 4, it ends with this idea of bearing fruit. Like, how does that happen? If we want that, if we want to be somebody that has fruit in our life, that, that, that we can't produce of ourselves, love and joy and peace and patience and boldness and compassion, all these things that are godly coming out of us, how do we have that? And just to, to tell you up front, they're connected. So let's dive into our passage. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Says, or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those that know the law, that the law is binding, only, binding on a person only as long as he lives. Does that make sense? Like the law doesn't apply to dead people, right? So let's say you rob a bank. <coughs> you get a dead person to go with you, you carry him in there, and you rob the bank. So how many are going into the bank? Two people, right? We're going to do math. There's two people going into the bank. One of them is alive. You're carrying a dead person. You get caught. How many people get punished? He's excellent at this, right? It does, law does not apply to dead people. He's, looking, he's going to illustrate it here. He says, for example, verse 2, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Right? I love how it paints marriage. It's like, look, you're stuck, but the hope is he may die. Right? <laughs> This is the situation you find yourself in. Right. So, my, my, like, for example, my wife knows we're in this uh, f- for, for up and down, good and bad. We made our, our vows, right? Thick and thin or fat and thin. Like I can slowly let myself go and you're stuck with me, right? <clears throat> but if I die, then she's not coveted to a dead person. That's released, right? There, there's freedom now. Or, or, for example, one of, one of the things when we got married, we decided to stop dating other people. <laughs> recommended. Um, <coughs> but, if I die, it changes things. Right? You're back on the market. You have freedom to date again. There's, there's a new context for your life. You're out from underneath that covenant. Um, if, if I were to die... There's new plans, right? Sometimes I would ask, you know, you know, what are the plans if I die? What would you do? And sometimes they sound like plans. Sometimes they sound like hopes and dreams. But you know, it, it changes things. It changes things. Here, here's how he says at verse 3. He goes on to say, Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So, if you're out of the picture, it changes the relationship. Now, don't build a theology about divorce and remarriage from this passage alone. That's not Paul's point. His point is the law's authority or the law's power ends at death. Like, that changes something. And sometimes we have a tendency to kind of overstretch the illustration, like it's a parable or something, where it's, all right, who am I? Who's God? What's going on? We tend to think, well, I'm the bride, and I'm married to the evil law, and then the law dies, and I get to marry Jesus. The law doesn't die. The law is not evil. You die, and you're evil. And we get into that in in verse 7 through 12, which we're not going to get into today, but what he's saying is the law is not the problem. We're the problem. And the law just points that out to us. The law formally says who you are, how you think, how you behave is not up to par with the standards of God, and you formally, by law, deserve death. So then what does it mean for us to die to the law? If the law is telling me I need to die, what does it mean for me to die to the law? Let's take a look. Verse 4. Likewise, like just like that illustration where death doesn't apply to dead people, he goes into our relationship. says, likewise, my brothers, you have also have died to the law through the body of Christ. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ is important there. It's not talking about the church. As long as it may seem, it's not going to kill you. He's talking about Christ's physical body, his physical body that was hung on a cross. He's saying, you died through Christ's crucifixion. So Paul in another letter says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, Paul wasn't on the cross. Jesus was on the cross. But he's saying, his dying was my dying. He died in my place. He took my place. So I have died to the law or to the standards uh, that the law demands, the according to the law demands. I have died to the law through Jesus' death on the cross. His dying was my dying, which makes what's happened on the cross both an act of grace and an act of justice, right? Law, which is good, says guilty. Justice, which is good, says death. Grace, which is awesome, says, I will do your dying for you. Do you get that? There was a situation in my family not too long ago that kind of illustrated this. Uh, My wife was gone somewhere, and I was responsible for dinner (coughs) for my three kids. So $5 hot and ready, here we come. And we take the van, and we go to to hot and ready. We pull up, and there's a parking spot right in front of the store where you could go in, and the windows you could see in there. And my oldest is in the front seat, two girls in the back seat. I said, Moses, stay in the van with your sisters. I'll go grab the pizza. I'll be right back. I said, no, Dad, I want to go with you. I said, no, stay in the car with your sisters. I'll be right back. So I get out of the van. I go around to start going. He gets out of the van, too. I said, Mo, stay in the van. So I walk into the store, and I'm in line, and I look behind me, and Moses is standing right there. So I said, Mo, go to the van. But I said it like, get in the van. Right? So it's like, it's the yell where it's like i don't want to make a scene, but I'll make a scene, right? So, at that point, he knows, so he goes back to the van. I get the pizza, I come in, I said, Mo, you you deliberately disobeyed me, and there'll be consequences for that when we get home. And he knew what that meant because he started crying right away. What do you mean? Who said all? Disobey, hey kid. What? So he, I hand him the pizza. We start to drive home, and as a good pastor's kid, he turns to me and he says, Dad can I have grace? <laughs> it's just, it's like, and I, my knee-jerk reaction was, no, you grace? Was quiet, you know? Um, but I knew what he was asking. He's like, you, you didn't know what grace is. He's just like, just don't spank me. So I said, is that what, is that what grace is? And he was quiet. I said, is that, is that how God treated us with our sins? He just said, don't worry about it. And just ignored it. Moses kind of shook his head. I said, well, what did God do to our sins? What, is, what does that grace look like? He said, well, Jesus died on the cross for us. Said, All right. So that's, that's grace. I said, you deliberately disobeyed me. I'm not going to ignore that. But I'll tell you what. I'll give you grace. When we get home, I'll take your spanking. I said, but you better bring it because I'm upset, right? <clears throat> so he's just quiet. It's like when we get home... I'll take I'll take your spanking for you, and you just feel like this parental moment, like yes, it's, just, it's sinking in. And then from the back seat, my daughter yells, "I'll spank you," uh, so I lost I lost all. It just kind of went downhill from there. But. Uh, you kind of get this idea of grace and, and law and, and, and justice and how it, it's all happening at once. See, the law in my house was, says guilty. You, you deliberately disobeyed me. Justice is a spanking. That's what you justly get. Grace says, I'll, "I'll take it for you." Now, once that happens, right, it, it's over. But I, I can't the next day say, "Hey, Mo, remember when you disobeyed me? You got the spanking? It's coming again, right? That would be unjust. I can't say, hey, remember last month when you left your bike out and you didn't put your bike away and I grounded you for a week? Yeah, I'm going to ground you for another week for the same thing. That doesn't make sense. That's not, that's not justice. When, when justice is served, it, it, it's over. Like it, was, it came up, it was dealt with, and we move on. For those that put their faith in Christ, the law already fulfilled its duty of holding up a standard and exercising punishment. Now it's over, Right? We have, a, we have a law in our country called double jeopardy. It says there can't be a second prosecution for the same offense. Like, it's not just to keep punishing people for the same thing. Once there's a punishment, it's over. And maybe some of you in this room have found yourself in the wrong side of the law before, where you were in the back of a cop car or in night in jail or whatever you did, you paid your consequences for it. You don't now live the rest of your life in fear that they're going to punish you again for that. You served your time. You did, your, you did the duty. It's over, right? You move on. You can't keep getting punished for something you've already been punished for. You were punished for it. So if, when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, here's what he's saying. If Christ dying was our dying, if his punishment was our punishment, then we can't be prosecuted again for our sins. It's over or as Jesus put it on the cross it is what it's finished it's finished so here's what it, here's what it means to die to the law this is important here's what it means to die to the law the law has already tried convicted and punished you through Christ your trial already happened your conviction already happened your punishment already happened it's over you can't be punished again so you are no longer under the law. The law is good. It's just already run its course with you through Jesus. It held up a standard. We didn't meet it. It demanded death. Death happened on the cross. So the law is fulfilled. The law is accomplished. The law killed you. You died to the law, however you want to put it, but the law has no power over you anymore. You can't be punished again. You are already punished on the cross. So now here's the the other side of that coin. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, you have not yet died to the law, and your trial date is still coming. If Christ dying is not your dying, then your dying is going to be your dying. You get that? Like when Mo disobeyed, it's like, Mo, somebody's getting spanked, either you or me, right? You is a bad choice. And we see how precious the cross is when we know the punishment. We see how awesome the cross is Amen? If you miss like, good gaps for amen, I will tell you. Like, it's a good spot for amen. How awesome the cross is. You guys are on it. But but here's here's the big reason behind that work of the cross. Let's let's keep reading verse 4. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that... If you got about underline that, so that in your Bible. So that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead. Who's that? Jesus was the one raised from the dead, yeah. So that you may belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead. That's good news, right? You have been you have died to the law so that you can belong to Jesus. That's the goal. Like that's the point. That's why the cross happened, so that we could be united with Christ he has legally freed you so that he can relationally be with you. And some of us here legally freed and we think well, then I can do what I want. Right? I'm free, free is free. And you have the question that gets posed in 6:15 to that. What then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Like if we're under grace, are we free to sin? If you're thinking, well because of grace, I can now talk how I want to talk and act how I want to act and wear what I want to wear and do what I want to do. And those people that think think otherwise—they're legalists, right? They're they're the legalists. They don't know grace. Listen to me—you're missing it. You're missing it. There's probably no fruit on your branches either. That's not the point. You did not die to the law in order to be single. You died to the law in order to be united with Christ. Freedom from the law doesn't put you on your own. So the contrast we get in the paragraph right above this is, is not going from slaves to sin to self-employed. It's like you need to become, go from being a slave to sin to a slave to righteousness. Or here in our passage, it's going from being under the law to belonging with Christ. You are released from the law, yes, but you are released into his custody. And that is the only way out of that courtroom alive. And now once that happens, you're right. There is no law. It's a relationship. Nobody is now holding you accountable to a list of rules. It's much, much deeper than that. It's married Jesus. Like be in this belonging type relationship with Jesus. Honor him in everything you do and how you talk, and how you act, and what you do, and what you wear, and who you are. Love him with your whole heart. Love him with your whole mind. Love him with your whole body. You see this get emphasized in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is giving a message on a mountain, a properly tired Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking to people, and he's saying things like, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. You've heard this, but I tell you this. Like, you've heard it said that adultery's wrong. I tell you, lust is wrong. You've heard it said that murder's wrong. I'm telling you, anger's wrong. Why? Why? Well, well, one, because murder is wrong. But where murder just violates a law, you've got to go deeper than that because anger is going to get in the way of a relationship. And that's the goal. That's the goal to restore what we have lost. To be united with our Heavenly Father. You've got to get this. The gospel is not just Christ died for our sins, it's Christ died for our sins so that we can be united with Him, so that we can get back what was lost. And in that type of relationship, that is this belonging type of relationship. Circle that word belonging in your Bible. Or maybe in your Bible it says that you might be joined to another, it can also be translated to be married. To another. In fact, Paul uses the same word here that he was using in verse 3 when he's talking about this marriage relationship. Now, maybe you've never thought of your relationship with Jesus like that. But here's the thing. We don't get to define the relationship that Jesus wants with us. We, we don't get to define the relationship that Jesus wants with us. Think of, think of it this way. Have you ever put yourself out there and asked somebody out on a date? Maybe you got to think a ways back to when that happened. But you kind of took the risk of saying, I'm going to kind of expose my feelings for this individual and, and ask them to go out on a date. And they give you the let's just be friends response. Maybe you get that one. Nobody wants to raise their hands. It never happened to me either. Um. <laughs> but you get this let's just be friends response. And it's a turn down. And as nice as friendship is, it's still a rejection. And the person that hears that never runs back to their friends all excited, like, she wants to be my friend. You know, it's like, it's not what you were after, right? You want to be more than friends. And their response is, I like you. I just don't like you that much. Or I like you. I just don't like you in that way. And it doesn't matter how polite they put it, it's still a rejection. And they walk away thinking we're friends. And you walk away feeling rejected. So for us, in in our situation, God wants this belonging, marriage-type, covenant relationship with us. You're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God, like it was originally supposed to be. And I don't think a lot of people in our context are saying, no, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. But on the other end, they're not necessarily saying, yes, I'm all in either. I think it seems like in suburban church America, a lot of people's response to God is, can we just be friends? I like you. I agree with most things that you say. We can still hang out. I just don't like you that much. I just don't like you in that way. It's not a belong to you, uh, be the ruler of my life type of like you. And as nice as we put it, and as often as we keep showing up, it's still a rejection. And maybe that's where you're missing it. We, we thought we were okay with God when we've really rejected him. And it's hard to even see because you're here every Sunday, and you sing when we sing, and you take communion when we take communion, and you do the chili feed because the church said so, right? But maybe we've just defined a relationship that we're not free to define. He so I just want to be your friend. Maybe that's why we're not seeing any fruit on our branches. Or, or maybe for you, you are in this belonging-type relationship. It's just over the years and the distractions of life and the soccer practice and, and your ambition to have this type of house and to make this much money, it's Just the relationship is not very healthy anymore. So, so I'm going to ask you something I'm not asking if you believe in God Or if you go to church regularly Or if you're a pretty good person but, here, but here's the question Do you feel married to Jesus? And if that kind of paints a negative picture in your mind That's a message for another time But do you feel married to Jesus? Do you feel like you have this active Belonging type relationship with Jesus? Do you love him? personal do you listen for him do you talk to him are you devoted to him are you faithful to him do you consider his feelings in your actions do you trust and submit to his leadership has what is important to him become important to you do you want your friends to meet him because here's where this fruit bearing issue comes in. It's in this relationship that Jesus, with Jesus that fruit gets produced. Okay, we'll finish verse 4. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him that is raised from the dead, which is who? That was, that was lame. I can say that as Okay, who raised from the dead? Jesus. It's better. Okay, if it's not there. We'll stop and back up so that you may belong to another, him who was raised from the dead. In order that, underline that, in order that in your Bible, in order that we may bear fruit for God. He has legally freed us so that he can relationally be with us, and when we are relationally with Jesus, fruit happens. Get that? Like There's the the work of the cross, that we, we have died to the law through the body of Christ, And that happened so that we can be with Jesus. And when we're with Jesus, relationally, in this belonging-type relationship, fruit happens. It's like Jesus saying, be with me, listen to me, trust me, follow me, love me, care for me, do what I do, love what I love, be in this relationship, and when you do, I will change you from the inside out. You, You will find yourself having new desires and new passions and new affections and new emotions Love and joy and peace and compassion and boldness. That I I will change you from the inside out. You think of it this way. It may be corny, but hopefully it'll help you remember. Bearing is connected to belonging. Bearing is connected to belonging. Bearing fruit is connected to belonging to Jesus. Our fruit production is directly connected to our belonging to Jesus or this relationship that we have with Jesus. And, And here's how Jesus himself put it. This is John... Chapter 15, verse 4 and 5, he says this Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you don't have any fruit. Apart from me, you don't see any fruit. Now, maybe you feel a lot like my kumquat tree at home. You're planted, leaves are green, but there's a frustration. Where's the the fruit? Why am I not more joyful than I am? Why do I get so easily angered? Why do I not have peace? Why am I not gentle but quick-tempered? Why, why am I not patient? Well, let me challenge you to examine your abiding, your belonging. How is your marriage with Jesus that the cross has made possible? I mean, there is nothing more amazing than the work of Christ and the cross. It has set us free. But listen, it was done so that we can belong to Jesus. And if you are not relationally pursuing Jesus, then we're missing it. We're missing it. Our forgiveness, hear this, our forgiveness is not the prize of the cross. Jesus is the prize of the cross. Forgiveness is just necessary so that we can be with Jesus. And he legally freed us so that we can relationally be with him. And when we're relationally with him, fruit happens. And when fruit happens, people get a taste of the kingdom. People... See kingdom values in us So Think about this What might happen If you just worked on this relationship With Jesus Abiding in him Depending on him Belonging to him What might happen if over the next month Your situation didn't change Your problems didn't go away But you grew closer to Jesus Maybe when things that normally bother you come up, you would find yourself being more patient. And Maybe when the temptations that come up that usually get you every time, you would find yourself having more self-control. And maybe when that stuff that used to happen that would get you down all the time, when that came up again, you would find an unshakable joy and peace. How awesome would that be to be that person? If we're honest, there's not somebody in here that wouldn't say, I want that. I want that. Now imagine this. What if everybody in this room was in this belonging type relationship with Jesus, abiding in him and listening to him and depending upon him? And that kind of stuff, that kind of fruit was being produced in all of us. I mean, just just this room here. Like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control and boldness and compassion just being produced right here in this room. Now, let's let's think even bigger because we have this blessing of being a multi-congregational church. So not only in Gateway, but in Gilbert and in Arcadia and in Tempe and in West Mesa and in Flagstaff and in Alhambra. Like, that's happening with our people. Just inside the redemption family. Like we have this belonging type relationship with Jesus. And in us is being produced this fruit. That's a lot of fruit. That's a lot of fruit happening in your marriage. That's a lot of fruit happening in your home. It's a lot of fruit happening in neighborhoods and in workplaces and in schools. That You would think that people would get a taste of the kingdom of God. A lot of times I think we look at our lives and we think, I need to get better at this, and I need to stop doing that, and I really need to improve on this. And throughout our own laws and efforts, we try to improve ourselves. But what we really need is just to be closer to Jesus. And when we're closer to Jesus, we bear fruit for God. And when we bear fruit for God, then we bring the kingdom to the people around us. And the only reason that we can be close to Jesus is because of the cross. So I hope and I pray that we see this belonging to Jesus as the privilege that it is. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I, uh, I thank you for the cross as a sinner. And I'm so thankful that you did not just forgive me of my sins, but you made a way for us to be together. And I just apologize for not seeing that as the privilege that it is too often pray that you would just be the treasure of my heart and I pray that for the people in this room that you'd be the treasure of our heart and that we would pursue you and and know you and belong to you and in that relationship we would see fruit produced in us and that fruit would be a joy to our lives and a blessing to our city. I pray this in your name. Amen.